Part 2 Chapter 8 of The Magnificent Adventure This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ritu, Canada The Magnificent Adventure by Emerson Huff Part 2 Chapter 8 Trails End Where lately had been gloom and despair, there now reigned joy and confidence. With the great mountains behind them, and this new pleasant and gentle land all around them, the spirits of the men rose buoyantly. They could float easily down the strong current of the great Snake River, laboring but little, if at all. They made long hours every day, and by the middle of autumn they saw ahead of them a yet grander flood than that of the noble river which was bearing them. At last they had found the Columbia. They had found what Mackenzie never found, what Fraser was not to find, that great river, now to be taken over with every right of double discovery by these messengers of the young republic. How swelled their hearts when at last they knew this truth unescapable, incontrovertible. It was theirs. They had won. The men had grown reckless now. Cruzat, Labich, Droulard, all the adventurers, sang as they travelled, gayer and more gay from day to day. Always the landscape had fascinating interest for them in its repeated changes. They were in a different world. No one had seen the mountains which they saw, the Rockies, the bitter roots. These they had passed, and now they must yet pass through another range, this time not by the toilsome process of foot or horse travel, but on the strong flood of the river. The Columbia had made a trail for them through the Cascades. Down the stormy rapids they plunged exulting. Mount Hood, St. Helens, Rainier, Adams, all the lofty peaks of the Great Cascades, so named at a later date, appeared before them, around them, behind them, as they swung into the last lap of their wild journey and headed down toward the sea. Cruzat, Labich, Droulard, all you others, time now, indeed, for you to raise the song of the old voyagers. None have come so far as you. Your paddles are wrinkling new waters. Your brave men, every one, and yours is the reward of the brave. Soon, so said the Indians, they would come to ships, canoes with trees standing in them, on which teepees were hung. Me, said Cruzette, I never in my whole life was seen a sheep. I will be glad for sea worn now. But they found no ship anywhere in the lower Columbia. All the shores were silent deserted no vessel lay at anchor before them lay the empty river wide as a sea and told no tales of what had been they were alone in the third year out from home thousands of leagues they had travelled and must travel back again here they saw many gulls as to columbus these birds had meant land to our discoverers they meant the sea Forty miles below the last village they saw it rolling in solemn, white-topped waves beyond the bar. Every paddle ceased at its work, and the boats lay tossing on the incoming waves. There was the end of the great trail. Yonder lay the Pacific. Meriwether Lewis turned and looked into the eyes of William Clark, who sat at the bow of the next canoe. Each friend nodded to the other. Neither spoke. The lips of both were tight. The big black, Sergeant Gas, said Lewis. They turned ashore. There had been four mess fires at each encampment thus far, those of the three surgeons and that of the officers. But now, as they huddled on the wet beach on which they disembarked, 
the officers ordered the men to build but one fire and that a large one grouped about this they all stood ragged soaked gaunt unkempt yet the happiest company of adventurers that ever followed a long trail to its end men said meriwether lewis at length we have now arrived at the end of our journey in my belief there has never been a party more loyal to the purpose on which it has been engaged without your strength and courage we could not have reached the sea it is my wish to thank you for mr jefferson the president of the united states who sent us here if at any time one of you has been disposed to doubt or to resent conditions which necessarily were imposed let all that be forgotten we have done our work here we must pass the winter in the spring we will make quick time homeward they gave him three cheers and three for captain clark york gave expression to his own emotions by walking about the beach on his hands and the confounded ships are all gone back to sea grumbled patrick gas i've been achin for days to git here in the hope of finding some sailor man i'd like to thrash and here is no one at all at all will said meriwether lewis after a time pulling out the inevitable map i wonder where it was that alexander mackenzie struck the pacific twelve years ago it must have been far north of here we have come around forty-seven degrees of longitude west from washington and something like nine degrees north unite with france or spain on the south to known exploration by land we have driven the wedge home never again can great britain on the north unite with france or spain on the south to threaten our western frontier if they dispute the title we purchase from napoleon they can never deny our claim by right of discovery this i say solidifies our republic we have done the work given us to do yes grinned william clark standing on one leg and warming his wet moccasin sole at the fire and i wonder where that other gentleman mr simon fraser is just now they could not know that fraser the trader who was their rival in the great race to the pacific was at that time snowbound in the rockies more than one thousand miles north of them three years after the time when this little band of adventurers stood in the rain at the mouth of the columbia fraser at the mouth of the river named after him heard of white men who had come to the ocean somewhere far to the south word had passed up the coast among the native tribes of men who had white skins and who had with them a black man with curly hair that's lewis and clark said simon fraser they were at the mandan villages we are beaten so now the largest flag left to lewis and clark floated by the side of a single fire on the wet beach on the north shore of the columbia here a rude bivouac was pitched while the leaders finished their first hasty investigation along the beach there's little to attract us here said william clark on the south shore there is better shelter for our winter camp so they headed their little boats across the white flood of the columbia it was now december of the year eighteen o five fort clatsop as they called their new stockade was soon in process of erection seven splendid cabins built of the best working wood these men ever had seen a tall stockade with a gate such as their forefathers had always built in any hostile country while some worked others hunted finding the elk abundant more than one hundred elk and many deer were killed and having nothing better they now set to work to tan the hides of elk and deer and to make new clothing as to civilized equipment they had little left about four hundred pairs of moccasins they made that winter sakajavia presiding over the moccasin boards and teaching the men to sew 
Clark, the indefatigable and natural geographer, completed the remarkable series of maps which so fully established the accuracy of their observations and the usefulness of the voyage across the continent. Lewis kept up his records and extended his journals. All were busy, all happier than they had been since their departure from the East. Christmas was once more celebrated to the tune of the Frenchman's fiddle. Came New Year's Day also, and by that time the stockade was finished, the gate was up, the men were ready for any fortune which might occur. Pretty soon, by and by, said the voyagers, we will run on the river for home once more. Even Sakajavia, having fulfilled her great ambition of looking out over the sea, which tasted of salt, said that she too would be content to go back to her people. We must leave a record, Will, said Lewis one day, looking up from his papers. We must take no chances of the results of our exploration not reaching Washington. Should we be lost among the tribes east of here, perhaps some ship may take that word to Mr. Jefferson. So now, between them, they formulated that famous announcement to the world, which one year after their safe arrival home overland, the ships brought around by Cape Horn to advise the world that a transcontinental path had been blazed. The object of this list is that through the medium of some civilized person who may see the same, it may be made known to the world that the party consisting of the persons whose names are hereunto annexed and who were sent out by the government of the United States to explore the interior of the continent of North America did penetrate the same by the way of the Missouri and Columbia rivers to the discharge of the latter into the Pacific Ocean where they arrived on the 14th day of November 1805 and departed the 23rd day of March 1806 on their return trip to the United States by the same route by which they had come out. This so soon as they knew their starting date, they signed each of them and copies were made for posting here and there in such places as naturally would be discovered by any mariners coming in. And today we, who can glibly list the names of the multimillionaires of America, cannot tell the names of more than two of those thirty-one men, each of whom should be an immortal. Boats now, Will, said Meriwether Lewis. We must have boats against our start in the spring. These canoes which brought us down from the Kuskuski were well enough in their way, but will not serve for the upstream journey. Again, we must lift up the entire party against the current of a great river. Get some of the Indian sea-going canoes, Will. Their lines are easier than those of our dugouts. Need was for skillful trading now on the part of William Clark, for eager as the natives were for the white men's goods, scant store of them remained. All the fish hooks were gone. Most of the beads, practically all the hats and coats, which once had served so well. When at length Clark announced that he had secured a fine Chinook canoe, there remained for all the return voyage, thousands of miles among the Indians, only a half dozen blankets, a few little trinkets, a hat and a uniform coat. You could tie up all the rest in a couple of handkerchiefs, said William Clark, laughing. But such as it is, it must last us back to St. Louis, or at least to our caches on the Missouri. How is your salt, Will? asked Lewis. And your powder? In fine shape, was the reply. We have put the new-made salt in some of the empty canisters. There is plenty of powder and lead left, and we can pick up more as we reach our caches going eastward. With what dried meat we can lay up from the elk here, we ought to make a good start. Thus they planned 
these two extraordinary young men facing a transcontinental journey of 4,000 miles with no better equipment than the rifles which had served them on their way out. As for their followers, all the discontent and doubt had given way to an implicit faith. All seemed well-fed and content, save one, the man on whose shoulders had rested the gravest responsibility, the man in whose soul had been born the vision of this very scene. "'What is the matter with you, Mern?' grumbled his more buoyant companion. "'Are you still carrying all the weight of the entire world?' Lewis turned upon his friend with the same patient smile. Both were conscious that between them there was growing a thin, impermeable veil, something mysterious, the only barrier which ever had separated these two loyal souls. Sakajavia, the Indian girl, was as keen-eyed as the red-headed chief. In the new boldness that she had learned in her position as general pet of the expedition, she would sometimes talk to the chief reproachfully. Captain, she said one day, what for you no laugh? What for you no eat? What for you all time think, think, think? See, she extended a hand. I make you some more moccasin. I got picture your foot. These fit plenty good. Thank you, bird woman, said Lewis, rousing himself. Without you we would not be here today. What can I give you in return for all that, in return for these? He took the pair of handsomely stitched moccasins, dangling them by the strings over one finger, but even as he did so the old brooding melancholy fell upon him once more. He sat, forgetful of the girl's presence, staring moodily at the fire. Sakajevia, grieving like a little child, stole silently away. Why did Meriwether Lewis never laugh? Why did he always think, think, think? Why had there grown between him and his friend that thin, indefinable reserve? He was hungry, hungry for another message out of the sky, another gift of manna in the wilderness. Who had brought those mysterious letters? Whoever he was, why did he not bring another? Were they all done? Should he never hear from her again? End of Part 2 Chapter 8